0: I can't say any more with the writer here. No, 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 no. You can trust him. Say what you want. He won't write it. Look, I work as hard or harder than anybody on that stage. You know what I do? I connect. I get people off. I look for the one guy who isn't getting off, and I make him get off. Actually, that you can print. And yet, why do I always end up feeling like I'm a joke to you? Look, you wanna pretend this isn't gonna be a very big band? Well, it is! You call yourself a leader of this band, but your direction allowed this T-shirt when you allowed Dick to manage us, cause he's your friend. Don't you see, man? The T-shirt is everything. All right, is it my turn now? Because I think we should, for once, say what we really mean. Oh, this is the part where you quit! Right, I'm so predictable. Deal with it. And let me just say what nobody else wants to what? say to you. Your looks have become a problem.
1: Oh man,
2: you made friends with them. See, friendship is the booze they feed you. Is they want you to get drunk and feeling like you belong. Well, it was fun. Because they make you feel cool. And hey, I met you. You are not cool. I know. Even when I thought I was, I knew I wasn't.
1: Because we are uncool. While women will
2: always be a problem for guys like us, most of the great art in the world is about that very problem. Good-looking people, they got no spine. Their art never lasts. And they get the girls.
1: But we're smarter. Yeah, I can really see that now. Yeah, because great art is about...
2: You know, guilt and longing and, you know, love disguises sex and sex disguises love. Hey, let's face it. Hey, you got a big head start. i glad you were home. I'm always home. I'm uncool. Scott, if
3: your life had a face, I would punch
0: it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood.
1: Welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach and I'm Matt and this is episode 24 almost famous. So before we get into the movie, let's uh, do a little uh, house cleaning as they say in the uh, podcasting world. (laughs) So we're, you know, we're well into uh, summer 2016 now, I mean not officially I guess because it's June twentieth or whatever it would be. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah. Somewhat. The hot time. Right. <laughs> so so uh, Yeah. So we got a lot of big stuff planned for this summer.
2: The Casha show.
1: <laughs> well no, I meant for the pod. Right. Matt's only like semi aware, vaguely aware of what my plans are, but I don't know.
2: The ideas change all the time. <laughs>
1: A lot of cool stuff to look forward to, but first... And Arguably f- cool. <laughs> cool if you like our show, man. Okay. First and foremost is our uh, 25th episode, which is a big deal for us because... Well, there really
2: is no yeah, reason I don't why. know why.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we never thought that we'd get one episode of this done, let alone 25, I guess, would be a good enough reason. It's true. We're really cruising. <laughs> So we're going to take, after this episode, we're going to take a little bit of a break. Just so you, if you're listening right now, understand that there will not be a new episode a week from now. And we're going to really focus on getting this... People rioting. (laughs) (laughs) The podcasting community is mourning today (laughs) upon this news. Um, Yeah, so at some point, you know, in maybe... 14 days or Something, maybe less Maybe more, there will be A 25th episode and then a Part 2, a 26th episode Shortly thereafter Probably not even a whole week after We'll probably go pretty quick with a 25th And 26th And hopefully those episodes Will be good
2: Yeah, people really (laughs) reacted strongly to the last time we did a (laughs) two-parter
1: Yeah This time, it's it'll be good we we i think it'll be fun
2: i think it was good last time
1: no yeah it was but nobody really knew what that was
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh that's true yeah people might actually be somewhat aware of what this is
1: yeah this is something that this was in the the short list of things that we just needed to get to (laughs) immediately right all right so and then after that you know we'll continue to bring you some great quality episodes week to week and uh we're gonna try out a couple of new things, something pretty cool, <laughs> in a few weeks, maybe. Um, I don't even want to give away know. too much. But that
2: could still go like horribly wrong.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we should post it no matter what. Oh. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> even if it goes horribly wrong, you'll know what it is when we get to it. We're not still, you know, a couple, probably a month or so or more away. So right. don't get too worried (laughs) don't panic (laughs) all right so with that out of the way you know as always you can follow us on twitter at (laughs) greatest pod that (laughs) plug really helping out the account (laughs) thanks for listening (laughs) (laughs) all right um yeah i think like well this probably isn't the right time to talk about that all right so (laughs) almost famous um another like big time classic movie In our opinion, at least
2: this—I mean, this window of time, this kind of like last couple years of the '90s slash like 2000—I feel like so many movies that were important to me came out during that time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's those are some they're culturally relevant to me. Yeah, those are
1: formative years for us personally. But I think a lot of people agree that like that '90. Nine through like 01 that two-year stretch is like really good yeah i think that's like a pretty common
2: a lot of heavy hitters
1: yeah i mean the thought did occur to me that we could potentially at some point in the future maybe do like a year as a greatest moment and just talk about like because like i was thinking about how great 2004 was recently (laughs) unrelated to anything um but uh yeah 2000 right dead center in that yeah prime real estate for our formative years I guess I would have been like 16 17 you would have been like nine
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of like the first time where I really started to I guess think of movies as as good like
1: oh yeah there's definitely like a like a like a time in your life where you know music and movies suddenly becomes like way more important than they were before yeah. Just so, like, you're personal in terms of, like, your own identity. Right. And what you associate with, like, coolness. And... Like, I liked
2: watching movies, like, a lot, but then I started to actually, I guess, judge movies on, like, on whether or not they were good or bad, whereas before I just kind of thought everything was good. <laughs>
1: yeah. And, like, I mean, I remember specifically, like, me and some of my friends would, like, we would go to Blockbuster uh, and just, like, we would just hit out, like, double features, like, of just really giving ourselves, like, an education in terms of, like, the cool, like, 90s movies up until, like, that late 90s into the 2000s. Like, you know, Fight Club and
2: Mallrats and Almost Famous and American Beauty and, you know. Fargo was one for me. I know that came out a couple years earlier, but I didn't see it until, like, 99 probably. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, like – Yeah, I mean, this is, like, a time
1: period to get caught up in in stuff that, like, you know, like, the Coen brothers or whatever, Kevin Smith, Mm -hmm. um, Fincher, etc. Like, Tarantino, even, like, I mean, because, like, when you're younger, I mean, those things kind of just pass you by. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're not really old enough to see them in the theater or even, like, I mean, obviously the age thing right off the bat, but also just your awareness level Right, and being like you know, eleven, twelve, thirteen, you're not really like paying attention to like a movie like True Ro- True Romance or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like it just kind of goes right by you. Yeah, I mean, I remember definitely seeing like a lot
2: of commercials for Almost Famous, but like I did not see it in the theater. Yeah, I was saying the other day when we were talking about this, I, I just remember them running the TV spots like crazy. But yeah, we were both stunned as to how it wasn't that big of a performer in the box office compared to what we consider to be big movies.
1: Yeah, I mean it 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 did not make its 60 million dollar budget back. That's crazy. I think it me. was 40 something million total, but um yeah, I mean comparatively we did uh Black Swan last right. week which made like hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. worldwide and was a huge hit. I think it's also, you know, and I definitely think Black Swan benefited from the awards season buzz in a way that some movies do and some movies don't but and almost famous was you know nominated for uh a bunch of oscars and golden globes and stuff but like for whatever reason
2: it didn't that didn't like really lead to much i don't know yeah it's strange i I feel like i remember being a big movie but
1: well you also have to remember that the way that big movies are defined now is very limited to theater performance. Whereas uh-huh. I think a movie could still get big via home video and stuff true. back in that era. That was like the end of that era. But you know what I mean? Like Mallrats made like what a million dollars in the theaters <laughs> yeah, or something. But like, I feel like almost everyone our age has seen it mm-hmm. or is aware of it in some way because it's just like everyone saw it eventually on vhs or dvd or blu-ray or whatever and or even like tv or something and it just kind of grew from there and i think like almost famous like i said was definitely one of those movies that my friends and i watched on like vhs or something in the days before blu-ray yeah or dvd <laughs> um so yeah it's um <laughs> last week we we talked about black swan and the approach to that movie is so much different than like a movie like this because that movie, you know, it's a lot of like theories. What does this mean? And like interpretation and, you know, really kind of in-depth thinking and, and kind of like symbolism and (laughs) metaphor and all that stuff. Whereas (laughs) like, I feel like almost famous is much more of a straightforward story where it's just like, pure entertainment without like
2: a whole lot of worrying about you know theories (laughs) about like what certain things mean or something yeah i mean there's like the dynamics of the various relationships in the film but that's pretty much it yeah i mean it's a pretty uh pure coming of age story disguised as like a rock movie and you know i'm uh, 30 and i watch these coming-of-age movies wondering when I will come of age
1: (laughs) yeah and I mean it's kind of a movie awash in like bittersweet nostalgia kind of looking at the past through rose-colored glasses which obscure the harsher negative truths and accentuate the glory of youth and fun and freedom and rock and roll and I think that that's okay because I mean obviously well said this takes place in the mostly in the very early 70s Um, I think there's a little bit in the late 60s at the beginning, but the time period itself was kind of like in that post-Hippie, post-Charles Manson, death of the 60s kind of thing, and a lot of people, I think, look back more negatively at the 70s than they do the 60s, but, you know, there's obviously, (laughs) when you look back at history, you kind of define moments, like, for example, like, the moment that 1979 became 1980, people threw away disco and immediately started listening to synthesized yeah. music and, like, Blondie and CBGBs, you know what I mean? Like, right. it's like, no, I mean, there isn't, like, these defined moments, and so, like, even though the, the Manson murders had happened and Woodstock had happened and, you know, people were kind of souring a little bit on the 60s, like there was still, like, a, a holdover, you know, for a while, and this is kind of like that... The These people are kind of still clinging to that idea of, like, free love and, you know, this summer of love, you know, 1967
2: or something, yeah. you know, and, like, they're still living... People kind that, of dealing with the aftermath of it a little bit. Right,
1: right, and that definitely comes more into focus uh, later in the movie when, you know the beloved Penny Lane almost (laughs) dies and the harsh reality of what's really happening with some of the characters comes to light. But like, and obviously, you know, this is told from Cameron Crowe's perspective who wrote and directed the film and it's based off of his semi
2: autobiographical.
1: Yeah. His like real life experiences as being a young uh, writer for Rolling Stone, spending time with like uh, a lot of bands Uh, Almond Brothers and the Eagles and I think even like Led Zeppelin and some other people. And and so like is almost famous like the definitive portrayal of that, you know, hazy early 70s era? Well, it's like no, because it's not really probably 100% accurate. But the film is, you know, undoubtedly the definitive depiction of what we all wish that era was really like, regardless of whether we actually lived through it or not. You know what I mean? Well, what
2: we wish we could have done when we were 16.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, so I, okay. So young, uh, William, that's his name, right? Right. <laughs> he kind of comes from a household with a, you know, domineering mother, oppressive mom played by, uh, Francis McDormand. Yeah. Um, his older sister, uh, De Deschanel. Which, kind of,
2: just monster crush of mine at the time.
1: <laughs> who, yeah, who? Who didn't I have a... Yeah, <laughs> I
2: well, I don't know. looks like, I didn't even know her as De Deschanel until much later. It was just like, the sister from Almost Famous to me.
1: Yeah, like when I saw her in Elf,
2: I was like, oh, that's the sister from Almost right. Famous. just those pretty blue eyes and dark hair. I mean, what's not to like? <laughs> and...
1: You know, she's the more rebellious of the two kids. Um, However, William is like the boy genius and kind of the apple of his mother's eye in a lot of ways. Yeah, she has
2: high hopes for him.
1: But, um, you know, his sister runs off to be a stewardess and leaves him her vinyl LPs, which is like a, a who's who of classic 60s definitive rock music and i guess that kind of serves as as the catalyst to get for him getting into rock music because ultimately you know i don't i don't have an older sister or an older brother but i think like there's always that person well Some yeah way or another and i think like that he he had a lot of like adoration for his sister because she stood up to their mother in a way that like he didn't ever think he probably could and she probably just seemed like the coolest person in the world in a lot of
2: ways yeah and to me also <laughs>
1: yeah in all fairness <laughs> <laughs> there were just like a lot of times where he was like accidentally going into the bathroom <laughs> and <stuff.
2: laughs> um well at this part <laughs> <I'm> when <joking>. <laughs> <laughs> at this part when she's uh leaving the soundtrack is uh simon and garfunkel america yeah at this point which when we were watching it the other night it reminded me of my first girlfriend because <laughs> <laughs> oh boy when i first met her her screen name was a smashing pumpkins song title and her profile was the lyrics to america by simon and garfunkel and i was like this chick seems great you know and then she would then go on to ruin my life for the next year <laughs> what's she up to now You know, strangely, we don't talk. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, you know. All right. Pretty good times. (laughs) So... You know, William's left alone. Uh,
1: he discovered, you know, there's a funny scene where he discovers he's actually younger than he's been told his whole life. And, you know, that's a reason why, you know, he's having a hard time fitting in with the other high school kids because he's, you know, <laughs> yeah, what, two, two years, years younger than them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's kind of had this weird childhood. But, you know, shortly after his sister leaves, I mean, I think he kind of discovers himself and he begins to write about music incessantly and send his articles to lester bangs the uh famous rock critic who is a real person and in real life and yeah uh at the time he was the editor of cream magazine and you know i guess like lester sees some potential in uh young william
2: yeah i mean philip seymour hoffman who plays lester bangs in this just has some of the best dialogue and scenes in this movie
1: yeah and i mean he absolutely kills it it's funny though i heard that jack black auditioned and i think like obviously philip seymour hoffman is a way more talented right actor than jack black but i think it, it's interesting to try to imagine what jack black would have been like in that role i think that he could have done well mm-hmm. especially with like the dancing around the, while playing Iggy pop oh yeah in the uh radio station give and, me the guess who <laughs> So, you know, he kind of serves as, like, a a mentor to William and sends him on his first little assignment, which is to write about Black Sabbath, but, um, you know, this is where he kind of falls in with uh, Black Sabbath's opening act, which is Stillwater, and, you know, a fictional
2: band, unlike Black Sabbath, and... uh, It's a weird band, really, for, like, the movie to be based on, because... I always thought it was strange. It's like they're just releasing their third album. It's really hard to gauge how much. I mean, a big part of the story about them is they're like on the verge of success, but like it's really hard to gauge where they're at. I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, I think like in that time period, it was more common for bands to sometimes be able to release a couple of records before getting big. Right. Whereas like. You know, nowadays it'd be like you need that instant success or else you're probably going to be dropped because they don't want to waste any more money. But, I mean, I, th- I I assume that, like, considering more albums were sold back in those times, I
2: think, like, you know, they're probably, like, fairly big. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the places that they're playing, there's, like, a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it's unclear, to me,
1: at least, what's if,
2: going on, on. Are are they on a headlining tour?
1: Well, they're opening up for Black Sabbath at in the that first show, yeah. But, and it's unclear to me if they're still opening up for Black Sabbath, like later. Yeah. I don't know. There's really never any mention of a of another band, right. really. So it's kind of muddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So anyway, um. At this show, he eventually, um, kind of ingratiates himself to Stillwater by complimenting them. And getting kind of in their good graces so that they want him around because, you know, he's a, a writer, even though he's a kid, which I think... I mean, you know, this is all kind of based off of a true story, but it's it seems hard to believe that, like, this band is just, like, taking him seriously at all as a writer. Right. I mean, he seems very young. I think he's supposed to be 15.
2: And Although, I mean, are they taking him seriously? Well, at parts they seem like they are, but...
1: Yeah, I mean, they definitely say things, you know, that would indicate that they think right. he's a real writer because they, you know, don't want to say things in front of him at first. The chicks are great? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Stillwater has, like, this group of chicks that hang around them called that they call themselves
2: Band-Aids, but they're basically groupies. Right. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this idea of Band-Aids is only a self-perception because they act like we're something bigger than groupies and then perc- and they act like they're not going to have sex with them and then proceed all, of all them of proceed them. to sleep with them yes throughout and the whole it's movie. not like these guys seem to care to have them around other than when they're partying yeah i don't think these uh chicks are inspiring a lot of the music <laughs> i mean come on so there's anna
1: paquin and who is what is her name She's like a crazy name. Is it
2: Palaxia or something?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean they all have like weird fake names. And um, the leader of their little group is uh, Penny Lane,
2: played by uh, Kate Hudson.
1: Yeah, Palaxia and Sapphire. (laughs) Remember that? uh, I don't know if there's any more. Um,
2: there's that one that talks
1: about the purple auras, Estrella, (laughs) who is Bijou Phillips. Oh yeah, and I think like you know. At this point we have to believe that, you know, William is pretty inexperienced with women. Um, right. It's pretty overwhelming I think for him <laughs> to deal with all these like, you know, hot chicks just willing to talk to him because he seems important. He's backstage with the band. He identifies himself as a writer and then, you know, the band like I said seems to take him somewhat seriously. So like kind of an interesting position for him i mean he's kind of too young to take advantage of that in any way yeah. and he's like a good person too but you know he's not like he never comes off as like predatory or lecherous to the chicks because he doesn't even though i think he kind of falls in love with all of them in a way like i, I
2: just don't think he you know he he knows what to do next as far as like the band taking him seriously goes i mean i guess it kind of seems like they have this attitude of like well, let's throw a fucking arm around him and, like, you know, maybe he'll write something cool about us. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah.
1: But, I mean, like, I meant, like, that they actually believe that he's a writer for a magazine. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, i that's the part, like, that's hard to believe. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean,
2: I guess, like, you know, his bills are being paid for by something, so. Well, yeah, eventually.
1: Yeah, I just yeah. mean, like, the first Oh, right night, away, yeah. They let, you know, they... They let him come in with them backstage because yeah. he has a hard time. Well, he does getting say the word the incendiary.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, you're in. So the band is like Billy Crudup. Is that how you say his name? I know. I don't know how to say his name. And,
1: uh, Jason Lee, and then a couple of other guys that are not really that important. Yeah.
2: They have like <laughs> a total of three lines between the two of them.
1: And, you know, Jason Lee's like the front man, and, uh,
2: What's his name? Jeff. Jeff. Jeff Beebe. Jeff Beebe. Stillwater, formerly the Jeff Beebe band.
1: <laughs> I knew an Adam Beebe when I was a kid. Um. Anyway. I mean, you
2: are Jeff Beebe, really. <laughs> I've thought that multiple times in my life throughout <laughs> our friendship. But if you're him, I'm like the fucking drummer that announces he's gay right before the plane comes <laughs> to. <laughs> oh, boy. No,
1: you can be uh, Russell Hammond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. So kind of like completely lost my train of thought i don't that. know that
2: I'm all right well the cast at the time is actually like pretty weird now that you're going through it's like kate hudson was new to the scene this patrick fugit i don't know how you say his name but fugit but yeah like, i mean well they needed I mean, a billy, kid yeah i know but billy cr- crudup crud up. i mean he was a fairly big actor but i mean I, I actually didn't know him until i saw this movie I, I had never seen any of that bullshit he was in in the <laughs> 90s i don't know yeah
1: I don't, I, don't, I don't even know what it is but yeah. uh
2: yeah i mean there's no definitive
1: like movie stars in this movie at the time right. i mean obviously Kate Hudson back, became yeah. a big star later
2: and-
1: right but like at the time yeah i mean francis mcdormand was in like Fargo movies, but yeah. like I don't think she was like selling tickets. You know what yeah. I mean.
2: Good eye for talent that Cameron Crow.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's crazy to me that this movie cost sixty million dollars. It's hard to see what exactly.
2: Probably a lot of like the fucking uh, location filming and stuff. Yeah, because it like seems had to, unnecessary since yeah.
1: it's sunny almost everywhere they go, and True. it could just be California. Right. I don't even. I'm gonna have to rely on you here. How does rolling stone even do they just happen to read his work in cream magazine that
2: That must be it yeah i don't know it's kind of a detail that goes by pretty quick
1: so he gets a call from ben fong torres of rolling stone magazine and they want him to you know do an article for them and william suggests stillwater because now he's got this connection And I think he kind of hopes to see Penny Lane again. You know, the band all wants him to come to L.A. They're like, you know, after the show in San Diego where he first encounters them. They're like, oh, yeah, we're staying at the Riot House and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he doesn't really know it about any of this shit. But, like, he's kind of, as, you know, Lester Bangs has warned him, he's, like, already being kind of seduced by the rock and roll lifestyle. And
2: Russell, you know, has this incentive to get William to come because he sees him hanging out with Penny and he's basically like yeah you should come you know bring Penny Lane <laughs> <laughs> yeah because un- unbeknownst to William at the time
1: uh, Penny Lane and Russell have a history from last summer
2: yeah which the all stuff- right
1: so let's let's talk about this um this is something that seemingly you had an issue with and then I've seen come up over and over and over (laughs) in different ways too not just the to deal with Penny Lane but with everyone so I feel like this is like I'm making a definitive final verdict and this is just the way it is (laughs) as per usual Penny Lane is approximately 20 years old in my opinion that's how old Kate Hudson was when she played this part and the confusion, of course, sets in when William lies to her and says she's eighteen, and she says "Me too, and then he goes, "Well, actually, I'm seventeen and he she says "Me too, and then you know he says, "Well, sixteen, and then she says me too and she you know so people and then he stops even though he's fifteen. And people took that to be literal. Like, she was literally 16, even though I think... Well, I thought she was the one that stops. Like, he says one more than her, and then... Oh, maybe. But I think she was kind of just trying to prove to him that right, you could be whatever you say. It doesn't really matter. And obviously, it's more advantageous, even at at that time period and with that age group. I think, like, with girls, it's always better to be younger than older or whatever. But I think, like... Her face, the way and the way she says that is pretty clear. She's not being serious or honest, right? And that her whole persona is no like no one knows her name and no one really knows much about her. Um, just
2: like, what is her life? I mean, she just lives. She must just live with her parents or her mom, right? I think maybe that's mentioned. Maybe.
1: <laughs> well, it's it was a different time. Yeah, you know, people just vanished a lot more and just went off and did things and people weren't as in as much debt as we are. That's all, true. We are all today. <laughs> I mean, you know, you just kind of floated around. They I mean, weren't was,
2: signing up for sweet additional loans in college. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was just like an endless summer that went on and on, especially if you lived in California. You know, it was just I think uh, girls weren't really necessarily always expected to go to college and expected to join the workforce right away. I mean, it was kind of... I mean, granted, they weren't all expected to become groupies, but, like, I think there was a much more, lot more freedom to kind of travel and live your life a little bit in whatever way you saw fit. I mean, granted, what does she do for money? Well, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff she does is comped because, you know, she's right. a hot chick. And <laughs> the band and other people want her to be around them. And Yes,
2: I, I do think that while she's on tour, a lot of her stuff is being paid for. <laughs> and it's like, you know, they get the... Um, band-aids get their own hotel rooms and shit like everywhere well that's paid for by the record label probably (laughs) (laughs) back in those days you know (laughs)
1: um and i think you know she's 20 william is 15 and there's some other concern about a scene later in the film where the other three or so band-aids say let's deflower the child or something and proceed to have sex with William. oh yeah that yeah I didn't think about that that's, and some that's so an people, issue these days so then people who took the opposite stand that the band aids were all older then freaked out about that being like well he's like a kid and they're all in their twenties well no they're not I think. And, uh, obviously, Anna Paquin, like we talked about, was like sixteen or seventeen when they filmed this movie. I think like the girl, other girls are supposed to be younger than Penny Lane. I think Penny Lane yeah, is yeah. They like,
2: do look up to her as like the veteran.
1: Yeah, I always saw her as like kind of if this was like a sorority, she was like a little bit of like the house mother kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. She was like in charge of the other girls in in a weird way. Chanel and, number one. I think like if she told them to do
2: something, they would do it. Yes, it does seem that way.
1: So, like, I, I took those other girls. Uh, how do you say that one girl's name? Faruza Balk or <laughs> Sapphire. <laughs> I, I, I took those does girls. Does anyone remember Laughter? Like her and, and Anna Paquin and the other one. I, I don't remember her name. She just pops up, you know, partway through the film. Um, I think they're, you know, older than uh, William, but not necessarily like predatory adults like I don't think they're in their 20s I think they're like supposed to be a year or two or maybe three years older which you know let's be honest if you're like a 15 year old dude and like you know 17 and 18 year old chicks are like let's just fuck this dude I mean that's a pretty crazy fun way to lose your virginity now obviously people were like if it was the other way around if it was like three older dudes and like a 15 year old chick people would be losing their minds but it's like i don't know i mean that's just the way it is it's like i don't i don't know what to tell you it's just i don't think it's a big deal if the if it's a dude like i just don't
2: yeah i mean i don't think that this uh traumatized young william or anything (laughs) yeah i mean a lot of people in their comments,
1: <laughs> like I would, if that was me, I would have loved to lose my virginity that way. And well, all that people stuff. do
2: take uh points against that type of attitude when it's when it is that type of situation. But it's just like, well, all right, if it's a okay, I'm not saying like if it's like
1: a 30 year old teacher, right, and like a 15 or 16 year old student, where it's definitely like a predatory relationship based off of. The power one has over the other yes. but I mean
2: it's he's having a good time they basically seem like peers in this situation even if they're like a little bit older than him yeah
1: the age is like okay I understand that the ages in the movie are ambiguous and it's hard to figure out some of the the girls ages and if you take the hard line stance that Penny Lane is at least 20 then you could get confused and think the other girls are as old and if they're in their 20s or something and he's 15 then it does start to seem a little bit weird but i i never like i, I you look at anna paquin i mean she doesn't seem that much older than him
2: now can you imagine being 15 and these three chicks want to have sex with you no i can't imagine i know what well, <laughs> a and it's your first time too <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm sure I mean, it he really satisfied all three of them thoroughly. Yeah, I know. Well, that's the thing. They wake up the next morning, and it looks like the chicks had, like, a rough night. Like, they're all like, oh, my God. And It's like, <laughs> what do you think? Like, he just fucking blew it in two seconds and passed out, and then they all had a, a time. <laughs> <laughs> and what a time it was. Yeah, and I mean, uh, he woke up, and he was like, oh, my God, that was the best. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I mean the as like they go on tour and, you know, he tries to get his interviews with the band and you know, he ends up talking to Penny Lane more than anyone else and she kind of becomes like this guiding force for him. You know, he clearly and by the point, you know, where this scene happens where he you know has the four-way with these chicks like which of course you don't like really see any of that at that point like he's you know like pretty much full-on in love with penny yeah
2: which she seduces him with this whole carefree attitude and i'm gonna go live in morocco for a year and you should come with me and he thinks like oh yeah that's something that we're gonna do now
1: yeah, because like, he doesn't understand. Yeah,
2: I mean, I've fallen for a similar fucking bullshit. <laughs> you still do? Oh yeah, I'm moving to Denver. And fucking six months later, see if I can working at the bar, not remembering who I am. <laughs> That's the best part—not remember, not
1: even remembering you. Yeah,
2: what a beatdown.
1: Yeah, so a big part of this movie, which is something that obviously like does not exist now and probably has not existed for a long time which is this like kind of overall sense of community uh within the world of music and touring and drugs and hippies and parties and like they all kind of like all of the bands know each other and the managers and like the crew and, the, crew and yeah. the groupies and the hangers on and they all like know each other and have met each other in many cities across the country and. They're involved in, like, poker games from city to city, and, like, you know, I don't know how realistic that even was for that time period, but it's very much
2: more believable yes.
1: than, you know, they all, everyone shows up in New York, and it's, yeah. like, this. everyone's at the same hotel, and it's, like, yeah, a big Bowie's party. Yeah, Bowie's gonna
2: be there. I'll introduce you to him.
1: Yeah, like, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, oh, we're hanging out at Max's Kansas City, and Bob Dylan sat at our table for an hour, and you know like stupid stuff like that and it's just like it it definitely takes place in in another world so far removed you know from today that like it's hard to even imagine what that could have possibly been like and it was so accessible too for these people that weren't in the bands you know what i mean right. like there were so many people like you know hangers on and such and groupies and just people around that could just Infiltrate this world and be a part of it. It's just like (laughs) it's just like a crazy existence.
2: Yeah, um, I forgot what I was gonna say. (laughs) Dino, I I went a couple. My mind's like really racing here. There's a couple different angles I wanted to go for. Well, you mentioned when we were watching this that uh, that like legend about Lester Bangs or whatever when he died, and yeah, I was that made me just think like in that scenario. If you die, what record do they find on your record player?
1: Well I was I, I always took it to be that um <laughs> I, I don't necessarily think like, oh he was listening to Human League <laughs> because <laughs> that was like his favorite band or anything. I think I think he may have been writing about it or okay. something. I
2: mean <laughs> I, I don't I didn't necessarily though. <laughs> it's like I would like to think, you know. I'm listening to, like, Leonard Cohen or something, but it would actually be Katy Perry. (laughs) Leonard
1: Cohen? I don't know. I think people would think you were less of a douche if it was Katy Perry. (laughs) No, they'd be wrong. (laughs) Well, yeah, obviously. (laughs) So, of course, as time's going by, you know, his story with Rolling Stone is becoming, like, a bigger and bigger deal. Um, Lester is kind of telling him the right kind of things to say when he needs to check in with them. And for whatever reason, I guess maybe uh, Stillwater, you know, unbeknownst to us is maybe, I always took it to mean maybe like one of their songs was becoming a bigger hit or their album was selling better. Fever Dog. And, you know, Rolling Stone, you know, wants to make it uh, a cover story eventually, which of course is a big deal to any band. Yes. And And I like
2: when he tells the band and Jason Lee is just like... Immediately making it about himself. <laughs> yeah, he gives a speech. <laughs> <laughs> His character is so funny in this movie. And
1: so, you know, the truth of the matter is he has really not anything because he isn't able to really get the band to open up in a way that would be productive for the article. Um, he's pretty... <laughs> I mean... Jeff won't stop talking, but yes. it's all, like, mindless bullshit. Right. And, like and like, Russell really won't is. talk to
2: him. Yeah, and anything that does happen, they do. he's kind of, like, given a little, like, don't write this.
1: <laughs> yeah. And obviously, a lot of crazy shit happens. Um, you know, They go to a random party. Russell and Jeff have a big fight about a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the out-of-focus guys. <laughs> and it prompts Russell to walk out and him and William kind of go on this little walk, and they end up getting, you know, invited to this random house party with people that recognize him from being in Stillwater, and, you know, he takes acid, and it becomes, like, a crazy situation where he jumps off the roof of the house into a pool and declares himself a golden god, (laughs) (laughs) which, of course, is, like, one of those endlessly quotable lines that i've said probably 20 million times right <laughs> and you know things like that happen and obviously the drama between penny and russell and russell has an ex-wife who is a current girlfriend who is maybe his wife I it's kind of hard yeah, to, it's
2: really hard to tell what is going on there because if it's just his
1: girlfriend i mean i don't understand what the problem like i guess like there's this stigma attached to penny because she's a groupie really and right he doesn't, he, you know, talks sweet nothings to her <laughs> in private, but, like, you know, kind of is has a very chilled uh,
2: attitude towards her in public. Right, and, and, and I think, like, the rest of his band and everyone kind of judging of the idea that he would view her as, like, a serious candidate as someone that he could actually date. Yeah,
1: even though she's infinitely hotter than <laughs> the other chick and also seemingly infinitely nicer because yeah, the other
2: chick seems she is pretty mean cold as ice
1: and I, I always thought that that was funny too. I mean, obviously the movie is from William's perspective and William is in love with Penny Lane. Right. So Penny Lane seems like an angel and this other chick is just literally the worst human yeah. being imaginable. <laughs> and of course your immediate reaction would be like, why doesn't he just break up with her and get with Penny Lane, which is seemingly what he wants to
2: do anyway. Not to mention she had sex with... Uh, Everybody. Yeah, <laughs> No, it's seemingly just maybe just Jeff, I yeah, guess. Yeah, but I mean, you know, subtly that's fucking what's his face is like enemy yeah
1: (laughs) yeah i mean when the at one point when jimmy fallon becomes their manager they take a plane and the plane almost crashes yeah uh they're all making like uh i guess i don't know what you would call that like near death revelations and
2: i made the wrong comparison about myself earlier i'm actually the manager dude when all the dudes reveal that they banged his girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) this episode or was it his wife or his wife yeah i don't know (laughs) But it's like <laughs> his face is just like he's because he's like revealing like, hey, I may have s- stolen some money from you guys, but you know I feel like I I earned it or whatever. And he's just like, but I want you all to know I love you. And they just all like cutting the speech off to be like, yeah, I banged your wife. Like, yeah, me too. Me, it's like a chorus of me too. <laughs> and then I don't know. This episode could just be like almost famous. Fucking colon the origins of a cuckold. <laughs> oh my god all sorts of revelations being made
1: yeah i mean you're making a lot of revelations right now on yeah the no podcast. that's what i mean this is like <laughs> I mean, that geez. plane scene
2: <laughs> except hopefully in this case the plane crashes
1: believe me this plane crashed <laughs> before we even posted the first episode but yeah i mean ultimately uh to kind of prove i guess that he doesn't care about Penny. He lets the manager
2: of the band sell the band-aids and... Because you can just sell women like property. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the 70s.
1: <laughs> he I guess, like, they're... In order to get rid of them before Russell's Gonna wife slash wife, girlfriend yeah. anyway, they need to get rid of them by New York. And he kind of sells them to Humble Pie for 50 bucks in a case of Heineken. <laughs> right. And... It's kind of weird because it's like it does kind of like lead to a lot of like questions of it's like well what if the girls don't want to go with humble pie, what if they don't want to sleep with anyone from humble pie,
2: yeah I mean and that's the and this is like the part where we first kind of see Penny really crack because it's like she's still kind of acting like this person of power in whatever her position is uh, like head groupie but yeah
1: it's it's more of like she wants to project an idea that like she she's part of the she doesn't care but to william she does kind of slowly over time reveal that she does care uh, at least about russell right and she in what you know go jumping on what you said like this idea of like that she actually has like some kind of power or that she's in control of anything including like herself and her emotions she kind of is like it's she's walking a line where she's like admitting that she wants to be with him and that she thinks that he wants to be with her but at the same time kind of you know acting like it doesn't bother her until
2: Yeah. William just, just fucking throws it like, in her face. Get it together how do you not see what's happening here? He yeah. has to like really kind of bring her back down to reality a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I mean he flat out tells her that she was sold for fifty bucks in a case of beer. Yeah. <laughs> this is when, you know, she starts to cry a little bit and then kind of smiles and asks like what kind of beer <laughs> yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean you really like shit on Kate Hudson for some reason at the beginning of this movie. I just I, think like I do think that that she's great in this movie. I'm not like a huge fan of her really overall, because most of the movies she's in are terrible. It's but not that I
2: think her performance is bad though. I mean I I think You just she's...
1: don't think she's attractive.
2: <laughs> All right. <laughs> You're like, I mean, oh, she's so ugly. <laughs> the curly hair wasn't really like my favorite thing, but
1: yeah, I mean I don't I don't
2: really like the hair either, but um I mean she does have a pretty face. I'm not going <laughs> to sit here. I, I don't want to be on the side Ow. of the argument. Okay, let's move on from this. But I find her character insufferable for a lot of the movie.
3: Yeah,
1: it's I, just I, I, this always, projection I I always of, feel like bad for her though. Cuz yes, I feel I know. like I know but, that it's
2: not right. It's the projection real. part though that bothers me cuz of uh, it's just like all right. <laughs> Well, she wants to seem cool and
1: tough like everyone right. else. Like she but she's, you know.
2: Well, I think I look at it too with eyes now. Actually, I wanted to bring this up like I used to when I first saw this movie and would watch it for the years to follow, I would look at it with such wonder like this band. I was like, "Wow, that life seems great." And it, but then it's like, you know, you get a little bit older and you're just like, "God, these people are like so sleazy and like horrible."
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like You know, I just feel like, man, I would never have, like, the energy for that. Right. (laughs) Plus, I feel like, you know, it would be, be like, constantly, like, like, constant emergency shits. (laughs) I'd be like, I would just be like... God, we have to be on this bus now for, like, seven just hours. It's so like, where many, am I going to shit? I don't know. If this is, like, panic so mode. So many
2: Wendy's and Burger King bags and cups all over the seats of the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we ever went on tour, it'd just be, like, a lot of, like, stopping at hotels and sleeping. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, the tour would bankrupt by, like, the second or third date because I would just be like, I need to sleep in a, a nice hotel. Right. <laughs> Like I said, I mean, it's kind of a – for most of the movie, it's kind of this um, look back through rose-colored glasses. I mean, it seems very glamorous and fun and free at first. And then, like, you know, you realize that people have feelings and that (laughs) it isn't – you can't just live this kind of life without there being, like, repercussions to – you know, and people getting hurt. And, you know, ultimately, I don't know if you would – I guess you would say that Penny Lane tries – to kill herself i mean i guess it's like uh, a suicide attempt and the only person who is around who seemingly the only person who cares at all is william and you know he basically saves her life and which
2: how is she staying in this suite in new york city at that point unclear Uh, i mean that is like a huge room I mean maybe she comes
1: from money, maybe yeah. she stole money. I mean Yeah, I mean
2: she does tur- seemingly turn in all these I don't know what like airline vouchers to fly to Morocco at the end of the movie, so Yeah. I, mean. I don't know what's going on here.
1: So, I guess that's like enough of a wake-up call for her. I mean the the suicide attempt comes on the game. Well, heels it, of- it was
2: pretty humiliating. She gets like a pretty humiliating beat down when she tries to go see Russell at dinner and uh he's just like looking away and
1: yeah that was like a very cringe moment because it's like he's there with his wife slash girlfriend and everyone at the table knows penny and knows kind of why she's there but like no one wants to really address it and it's like super awkward and she's like kind of standing away from the table but keeps looking over and eventually like russell's wife whoever, she calls her out on is like, does someone know that person? Right. Simultaneously, like, three or four people say she's "She's with with me. me, (laughs) And give it away completely. (laughs) And, you know, shortly thereafter is the suicide attempt. And I think that's enough of a wake-up call for her to go home. And I think, like, on, you know, William takes her to the airport and everything. And, you know, in that moment, she kind of realizes that, like, William is the only one that truly cares about her and she's kind of like losing him too. But you know, it's not, it's one of those weird things where I think like he loves her and she loves him, but like their love obviously is different because she's older and I, yes. I just don't think she can see him in that way. Yeah, I don't
2: think he's really doing it for her. Well, I think Especially... in that moment,
1: I think it is just the age. I think right. like she understands that like the type of, dudes that she was that's why she just gives up on the life and eventually does go to Morocco like those type of dudes that she's been after the whole time just aren't cutting it right
2: um yeah I mean another thing that's kind of changed over the years of me watching this is my opinion of Russell because it's kind of like sprinkled in of him being like a dick where he yells at uh William whenever he knocks on the door in the hotel room and you know, it's revealed by the band that they all think he's like a pretentious douche. And but I used to always think of him as a a, likeab- a mostly likable character. But I because I think again, it's from William's perspective, and he kind of looks at Russell as yeah an he, ally. I think he idolizes him at first, but he is like just a sleazy douche. Yeah.
1: If we want to go with, like, the Lester Bangs thing, he's kind of like The Doors and Jim Morrison. Right. (laughs) Yes. And Jeff Beebe is the guess who. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Where he's just unabashedly an asshole the whole time. Yes. And he is on the surface. And so, in a way, that makes him a more redeemable character than someone (laughs) who tries to pretend that they're, you know, like, a serious artist and, like, a real person. Yes. And ultimately,
2: like, they're shady. He... They point out, like his bandmates point out, that he has to kind of remind them that he's, like, too good for them. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm sure that was, you
1: know, taking, t- taken directly from a lot of the bands right? That Cameron Cross had time Yeah, with. probably. Um, and then, ultimately, you know, it's time for the story to come in. I mean, all along, you know, he keeps having to come up with excuses why he's not going home and his mother's worried and you know Frances McDormand is like a constant presence in the movie despite her not being (laughs) she's great yeah there I mean she's always on the phone calling and um we kind of have a few scenes of her back you know she's like a college professor and you know we have scenes of her teaching class and doing all stuff, kind of like being distracted falling apart yeah because i think she i think like deep down she probably understands that she's pushed both of her kids away mm-hmm. and probably regrets some of the hardline stances she made on things that weren't that threatening
2: it is crazy the way this unravels with william though like supposedly going on tour for three days to what becomes the entire tour basically
1: yeah and it, somehow he still manages to graduate Right. <laughs> Which, I mean, I guess he was like so smart and stuff, he probably yeah. was able to do whatever. But, um, yeah, and I mean, the time comes for the article to come in, and he doesn't really have anything, and the pressure is mounting. Um, you know, the female fact-checker at Rolling Stone oh, particularly God, hostile
2: yes. towards him. Um, she is, like, so ready to trash his story the whole time. So when, finally, Russell denies all the stuff that William wrote. when she does the fact-checking. She just comes in. The story's a fabrication. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she just, like,
1: could not wait to get rid of this little kid for some reason. Yeah. God, she's great. And, you know, he he writes a story. He So he decides to write the truth, and that's everything that he's seen over the last however long,
2: I guess. By the way, at the direction of Russell.
1: Right. And the band, when they... Are called about the story are freaked out because they're like wow (laughs) this is awful sounding
2: (laughs) the chicks are great i
1: sound like a dick (laughs) (laughs) and ultimately according to the fact checker it's russell that denies the story and so william returns home from this long exhausting tour where his whole world is been turned upside down and he's met all these people and done all these things and he wrote this article and then ultimately the article is not going to get published and it's just kind of like this defeating kind of moment for him but he's just you know super tired and it's almost like he doesn't care at that point it's just like
2: in one of the most unbelievable moments but you know this is like where it's just like well it's a movie logic comes into play before he goes home, he runs into his sister, the stewardess, at the airport, and she's just like, well, where do you want to go? We can go anywhere in the world. And he's like, I want to go home. <laughs> but it's just like, yeah, he just randomly runs into his sister at the airport.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that obviously, that's just like a cutesy little right. movie thing. Yes. She has not spoken to their mother since she left, basically. Right. And it's kind of this weird little touching moment of William taking this opportunity to like reunite his mother and sister. Uh, upon his own arrival back and so you know their mother suddenly has both of her kids back and it's kind of this weird little reunion
2: and then you know will uh goes straight to his bed (laughs) which in, in what's like i don't know i always find that part so relatable just like anytime i'm away from home for like a few days just even if i was like sleeping on a futon that wasn't long enough for me and would squeak every time <laughs> that I m- it moved. I would just f- see that as paradise just to be back home. Yeah,
1: obviously. <laughs> right. And so, you know, Russell, I guess, has kind of been... Uh, Having a change s- of heart. Yeah, well, he's been scolded <laughs> yeah. a little bit by some of the other girls that he runs into again. about, And he kind of finds out what happened with... Uh, Penny. Penny. Um I think William also had told him right before. Oh yeah, uh, the plane crashed or something. I don't I don't know if that was that moment or sometime he kind of tells him that she almost died and all that stuff and um, you know and then some of the other girls are basically like you're a dick you know Penny almost died and we we heard about what you did to William right and he kind of
2: you know <laughs> these this is like great about this part though it's Sapphire. Fries of bulk or whatever, just you know, enjoying the buffet backstage at this point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, just helping herself and uh, talking about the new, the like the rising of the new groupies, eating all the steak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very little self awareness yeah. on her part. <laughs> um, yeah, uh,
1: Russell calls Penny Lane. I guess somehow he had her number. I don't even remember how that yeah. happened. And he does talk to her, and she he wants to come see her because i guess you know in his mind they he needs to be with her now but she gives him williams address and they kind of have a reconciliation and he calls rolling stone back and tells them the story is true and they end up running with it on the cover so every little part of this movie is tied up in a nice little bow yes i mean even down to uh williams sister coming home and having the moment with the mother and everything. I mean, everything is really neatly tied up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In a super convenient way. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie. It's already 16 years old, which is crazy. Um, it's really kind of stood the test of time, though. I mean, it's really established as one of those special movies from the...
2: Right. You know. We didn't even talk about the iconic uh, bus scene. Yeah. Tiny Dancers sing along. Yeah,
1: I mean honestly probably one of the best scenes yeah in a movie ever just perfect use of the song right the perfect choice of the song mm-hmm. and just like it's it comes at a time you know not that there aren't a million times where there's great tension but yeah. it comes at a time where everyone's very tense and not William, talking because
2: i need to go home and kate hudson just you are home <laughs> Yeah, this, it chill. comes
1: like post uh, Russell drug freak out at the party, right? And <laughs> I love how he just like gets back on the bus
2: with like he's basically just wearing like, like draped in a towel, swimming trunks or something. He yeah. had a towel, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he just like left his clothes at this random person's house in Topeka.
1: <laughs> yeah, and of course, like the healing power of Elton John, you know? Oh, really dude.
2: <laughs> When he's like still in the house and still like all like drugged out slash whatever from this bender and the people that are like living in this house are like, Yeah, you can live in our basement <laughs> <laughs> Do you
1: want me do you want to see me feed my snake a mouse? And <laughs> he's just <Yeah>. like, Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then when he's walking out of the party when they're taking him back to the bus and he just looks looks at William and is like How do we know you're not a cop? <laughs>
1: Yeah, this movie, it's heartwarming and fun and everything, but it's also really funny. Yeah. And, I mean, there's like some silly stuff that's not really that funny, but I think overall just like a really just well-written, yes. entertaining at At, at one movie. point
2: in my life, really high hopes for uh, Cameron Crowe to be one of my favorite writer-directors, but it hasn't really stayed the course
1: yeah uh this was definitely his best movie, you know yes. like, even more so than like say anything right,
2: which I like say anything though too,
1: yeah, but I think this is just like right, just the perfect kind of movie in a lot of ways yes, um, and you i mean i it's just like it sucks, like I don't know, probably just like part of getting older is just like you're not accepting of new things, but like I just can't imagine like a movie like this coming out now. Like it just seems like they would never give a director sixty million dollars to make like the movie he wanted to make right in this way. Like a very personal. I mean, granted, this coming on the this movie kind of came on the heels of Jerry Maguire, which was a monster sure. success and made hundreds of millions of dollars. So he kind of got one of his
2: you know, you got you got his chance. Yeah, all right, you can make what you want, <laughs>
1: but um. Yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else that we can say? I mean, we, we kind of, like... We really jumped around. Yeah, we <laughs> jumped around and didn't really go... Because it's... Well, the sto- the wait, story, we're not going to go through the plot. Yeah, the plot is, like, not as important.
2: It's uh, There's nothing to analyze there. It's all... That's what happened.
1: Yeah, I mean, this movie is really just a series of great moments. Right. Rather
2: than... <laughs> kind of like this podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, so... um, Like I said, we get, we're going to take a break... Won't be too, too long, but, you know, won't be next week with a new episode, and, you know, like I said, we, we'll have a big summer plan for you, so keep listening, uh, tell your friends.
2: I think when the uh, people who subscribe to the pod see this episode 25 drop in, they'll be pretty stoked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully.
1: Um, and, uh, I don't know, anything else? Subscribe, rate, and review. All that stuff, uh, spread the word and uh, keep listening.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Always these like ringing endorsements at the end of the show. <laughs> Just keep that momentum going right to the next one.
1: Yeah, we I, I, I'm gonna work on like a cool sign off I think
2: Well, I like folks who are out of time.
1: No, I want like a cool like expression or something like something fun to say.
2: <laughs> Connolinkus.
1: <laughs> Oh, my God. All right. um, So that's it for Almost Famous, and uh, we'll see you next time.
3: I am a golden god!